whatever it is that we're full of is what's going to spill out on the people around us that we interact with, right? So the thing you're most full of is what's going to spill out of your mouth, of your heart, of your attitudes. And uh, I'm the sort of person that whatever hobbies I'm into, I can't help but talk about to all of my friends. And it seems like um, if we use the fire metaphor, we're called to fan into flame the gift of God that is in us through the laying on of hands so that we're a blazing uh, passion, we're a blazing furnace of the fullness of the Spirit. And there's certain activities, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's certain activities that the Holy Spirit comes upon. And when you do them, he shows up. There are certain thought processes that when you think them, Holy Spirit shows up and increases. There are certain attitudes or focuses that when you think them, when you meditate on them, when you spend time doing them, uh, they don't seem to draw his presence. Some things even repel or cause his presence to sort of just back off. Now, theologically, you know he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. But there's a reason we're called to, told to pray without ceasing, right? Jesus says in his, uh, in his hour of pain in the garden, watch and pray because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What's his point? Is his, is his point because you have a flesh, you can really, all you'll ever be is weak? If you don't pray, you will. See what he's saying? Watch and pray. Why? Because something about praying, something about praying, not, not just any kind of praying, praying in faith, draws the Spirit. And we live by the Spirit. And if by the Spirit you put to death the works of the flesh, you will live. Right? So you're, 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 if you pray, the Holy Spirit comes, and now the weakness of the flesh is overcome, and the flesh lines up and says, yes, sir. So fan into flames the gift of God that's in you through the laying on of hands. How do you fan that into flames? Well, there's a focus. There's a, Jesus says whoever, to use the water metaphor, that was the fire metaphor, fan into flames. Here's the water metaphor. Jesus says whoever believes in me from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water, John 7. Right? Believes in me. Does that mean agrees with certain things about me? No. No. This is not intellectual assent. This is, this is the Greek word believe. This is, this is a covenant word. This is, a, this is who is faithful to me, who is depending on me, who is trusting in me, trusting in me that who I am, you're, you're leaning on, you're surrendering to, you're drinking of. It's feasting language. Believe, according to the way Jesus is talking about it, is feasting language. It's what my spirit, it's what my person is, you know? So Jesus is the face of the Father, or 2 Corinthians. The glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus, right? We, with unveiled faces, when, when, when people go to the Old Testament law and they don't see Jesus, all they see is laws, and God isn't even seen. They don't even see, there's a veil over their mind, but when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is removed and the beauty of God is revealed in the face of Jesus. Or the Greek says, the glory. But just as good of a translation is beauty. 
What it is to believe in Jesus is to feast on the beauty of God seen in the love of Jesus for you. Who he is, what he's done, what he's said in his covenant movements towards you and, and anchoring in that, feasting on that, meditating on that, praying on that, singing on that, bringing him to mind, relating to him in the secret place of your heart. As you do that, to use the water metaphor, as you believe that rivers of living water flow from in here, in your innermost being, up and fill you to the point that anyone you bump into, bloop, that's what, that's what, it's, and if, if you were talking about in the physical realm, we could go, oh yeah, I can feel that person's atmosphere. I can feel, feel that person's peace or anxiety or their anger or their complete unoffendability. It's not a word, but we'll make it up. Like you just came at them with all of your pet problems with them and they did not take one thing personal. And you go, wow, I feel really safe with them because of that. Why do you feel safe? Because of what their, the atmosphere they just put in a cloak around you. I saw a thing today that I don't, or not today, I saw a thing the last couple of days that I don't even know if I believe it because I can't see how you could ever scientifically verify it. But they were talking about how we pick up on the emotions of the people around us. Our bodies, this is, what the, this is what the research said, our bodies catch emotions from people just like they catch a cold. I can see that. that sounded true, but I was like, it sounds also convenient like somebody's trying to preach a sermon. It just seemed too good to be true from a preacher perspective. But it definitely is true, just without the science, right? You pick up the emotions of the people that you huddle with. You pick up, if the group is scared and you're not actively rooted in something different, eventually you're gonna be scared. If the group is angry and unforgiving, I, went, I, I say this all the time. My first, one of my first jobs, I worked at Kroger's in Goshen, Indiana. I'm sorry, not, was it Kroger's? Yeah, it was Kroger's. I was a bagger, bag boy, and I would take carts or take people's groceries out to the car and people would tip me like a nickel, you know, because it was you know, a dollar, you know. The older they were, the less they would tip, thinking they were, and the, more, and the less they tipped and the older they were, the more generous they thought they were being, you know, because <laughs> inflation, inflation made them not realize how small they were tipping. And I, I, I started that job, and I remember being shocked at how much complaining there was. Day number one, they said, oh, you're new here. Oh, that stinks here. I'll tell you what, management doesn't care about us. You're going to hate it. And I'm like, What? That's the atmosphere? So, obviously, obviously, if we're going to be here doing what we're made to be doing, called to be doing, in the midst of a broken world, it is imperative that we learn to develop this close walk, this relationship thing, where we are thinking about what we're supposed to be thinking about, Loving what we're supposed to be loving. And by supposed to be, that's the wrong language, I know, because as soon as you say supposed to, you trigger people's legalistic childhood if they grew up in the church at all. So I'm trying to figure out how better way to say it. My, my friend uh, Mim Musser always says, don't should on yourself. Don't, what? don't should. Oh, okay. I 
should. S-H-O-U-L-D. I know that's and that's why she says what she says because she knows you'll wake up and go did I just did what happened in church today meaning don't put guilt on yourself put opportunity on yourself I'm privileged I got the opportunity to walk with the Holy Spirit today I get the opportunity to be a host for what heaven's doing today I can give God thanks for this moment and for this this place this time that he set me in history it's so interesting how many people think the world is getting worse and worse and worse and they wish they could live in a different time or a different place. And that mindset is designed to keep us from being faithful. It's designed. You wake up in the morning and instead of thanking God for the people you're about to interact with, you're already complaining about them. Instead of, instead of figuring out how can I love this person who doesn't like me, how, how, can I, how can I take advantage of this and be in the spirit praying, we're going, well, they don't like me, I don't like them either then. Totally missing the point, right? Okay, so I'm gonna try out some new ideas and you're gonna help me, okay? Meaning I haven't worked out these thoughts yet they're just brand new thoughts. I wrote them on the window in the kitchen <laughs> in dry erase marker, and I'm trying to work them out. Okay, so. Not at that moment. At that moment, we were getting the old refrigerator that doesn't work, that hasn't worked for two and a half months that was still full of food, and it was like 56 degrees in it all the time. But the freezer still worked, and the ice maker still worked. We were getting that all emptied, and I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's see. I know that's old school, but let's say that's a TV. Old school TV. And, uh, and let's see. That's a mirror. And that apparently I, I look like that. Yes, uh, hopefully, like, handwriting doesn't matter, right? No. Yeah, you need to put rabbit Like this? You want to draw them? I mean, it's minor pathetic drawings, but I don't care. So I got a TV, a mirror, and a window, and you're going, why? And I'm going, well, I feel like, I feel like, A lot of us need to remember that the ministry of, of being a distraction from the hardness of life is really important. Some people have a calling in life to bring a distraction. Art, comedy, entertainment, music, storytelling, fun, laughter, food. Like, it, it seems irrelevant. I'm just using TV as a metaphor, so don't think that sitting around watching TV is what I'm trying to say here. But my point is three screens. These are three screens and they're really important. And I think that if we have them in a healthy balance, not actual TV, please hear what I'm saying.
Life is so hard on planet Earth. Life has so much injustice, so much sin, so much wrong, so much death, so much suffering, so much breaking down that if you spend your whole life thinking about what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with people, what's wrong with you, what's wrong with your family, what's wrong with your friends, what's wrong with your community, you, it will eat you. You will never have a happy day again. There, there's a healthy thing where you unplug from, quote, reality, which, by the way, the Lord told me a few years back, that negativity is not re- being realistic. That's not. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy that leads to, to the confirmation. It gets bad fruit, it believes for bad things, and then it gets the bad things it believes for, and then it assumes that, therefore, it must have been right. But actually, he said, faith is more realistic than negativity. But if you focus on the stuff wrong in the world all the time, it'll eat your lunch. It's extremely healthy to go ahead and unplug and participate in some distraction. And it might be a ministry. Sometimes we have this thing in us that if you love Jesus, then everything that you do should be serious and about evangelism and the word and holiness and let's go. And quite frankly, that makes Jesus really ugly and boring. And it doesn't reflect who God really is at all. Because God didn't invent religion, we did. God invented everything else. He invented life, creativity, sex, kids, farming, play, fun, all the stuff of normal life he invented. And never, there was no temple in the garden. Religion came later. Once we were alienated from God and we were trying to get back to God, that's when religion was invented. And seriousness and you've got to get the world saved and we've got to fix this problem. You've got to walk in holiness and you've got to try real hard. How many of you know relationship with God is real easy and you don't have to try real hard? In the garden, they didn't have any consciousness of sin. All they saw was a good, loving father. They weren't thinking for themselves. They were trusting what he said in relationship. When you're walking by faith, you're not striving in, you know, in the flesh. So distraction is actually a helpful ministry. Helpful, helpful ministry. I'm, fix me here. That's the wrong word. What's the better word? Recreation? Rest? What's the word? I don't know. Yes, recreation. That's the word. You know why? Because it's very theological. Recreation. So, fun. And yeah, and it is restful. It is restful. It's saying, I'm going to unplug from having to somehow be God and do God's job of fixing everything. And I'm going to laugh. Before I came over here tonight, I watched some comedy. Sebastian Maniscalco talking about how his family always wants the dirt. And his wife, he says, they don't even dig on dirt. He says, my wife's on the phone with her mom. And she says, how you doing, mom? Mom says, fine. How's everything over there? Fine. And Sebastian says, it's not fine. You got to dig. There's something there. You got to dig. He says, I get off the phone. I can't wait to go find my wife. Get a glass of wine and go outside and sit down. We going to get, I got the stories. You won't believe what my cousins are up to. I was like, that's hilarious. But that was just, I needed that. You know, after a long day of thinking a little too hard and trying a little too hard and I needed that. Second lens or second screen that I think is important. Of course, let's talk about what could be wrong with that. Let's say you try to live your life there. 
These are the plus. <laughs> right? Escapism and living in a fantasy land. If this, is, if this is all you ever do and if every difficult conversation or chore or problem you run away from, it ceased to be a ministry. Um, but it's okay if you have a ministry of not being an expert on the hard things, but lightening people's load. Okay, another screen is the mirror. The mirror is... Wait, the mirror is where I, I need some people around here who think like I think and feel like I feel so I know I'm not alone. Is there anyone around like me? Am I, am I a freak? Am I an outcast? Am I alone? Is there a tribe? Is there a group? Is there, I need some people who can, who when we talk, they say, me too. Now, I'm not necessarily saying we agree on everything, right? Because how many of you know that as soon as you say that you feel very alone and lonely, and everyone says, do you ever feel alone and lonely? Every single hand goes up. Mm -hmm. Have you ever felt misunderstood by everyone in the room? Every hand goes up. So what's, unique, what's interesting about that to me is we share. The moment you start to really be honest and vulnerable about how freaking alone you feel, in the world. You've now found a basis to relate to just about everyone in the world and connect with just about everyone in the world who also feels a little bit like a freak. I had a great interaction with my mom one time when I said, I just feel so, I feel like the poet son of a farmer. You know, like I'll never be able to please dad. I'm not the kind of creature that would ever want to be the sort of creature he would be proud of. If I'm true to who I am, he'll be like, oh, so many feelings. And go plow the back 40, dude. You know, and even though he was a chiropractor, he was a farmer from Kansas. You can take the boy out of the farm. You can't take the farm out of the boy. He was farming chiropractic care from sunup to sundown every dang day. You know, he'd make a good shark. Sharks never stop swimming. You know what I mean? Forward till we die. We're going for it. I smell blood. Let's go. You know? <laughs> And I said that to mom. I said, because you, know, you know what that is? Am I? Do, 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 we're so dissimilar. We're not the same kind of creature. And mom says, Tim, you don't understand your dad at all. I said, what do you mean? She said, you're not the poet, son of the farmer. Sweetheart, your dad is the poet, son of the farmer. I said, what? And she started to explain to me his childhood and Grandpa Dave, a man of almost no words and almost no hugs and lots of work. And you give the paycheck till you're 21 to the family. And no, you're not allowed to go to high school with your friends because we need you to keep the farm running. And all the different, and how dad is this sentimental, poetic, feely, relational, extroverted people person who just wants to help everyone around him and connect, stuck on the farm. One year, 
he had a big old chainsaw and he cut hedge, hedgerow all year. And that was how he spent his life. And the whole time he was thinking about his friends who got the privilege of going to high school. He resented that chainsaw. He resented, he resented that, the hard, gnarly, heavy wood that grew on the hedge. I forget the name of the wood, but he hasn't. <laughs> when I heard that, I said, whoa, hey, wait. You mean the reason I feel this way is because I'm just like my dad. Instantly it was like, okay. And I, and I went from wishing I could live up to his standards to feeling like we had something in common. And instantly compassion and connection felt. I felt compassion and connection. I could see me in him. That's weird, right? And I think we're all, we're all yearning for that. Is there, and I, this sounds narcissistic, right? Like, I love the me and you. That sounds really evil. That's not really quite what I'm talking about. I, what I'm really talking about is, are, do we, I'll talk to him. No, I won't. And I think this, this has some positives, right? Be, it's, it's a yearning to belong, to be understood, to be accepted even, right? These are positives, good, healthy things that, that we, we yearn for. There can be some real negatives when, when we, there could be some very serious negatives. If we live yearning exclusively for seeing a mirror, we can begin to really, in the name of fearing rejection of others, reject them. And, and there's a lot of pride that can come into the picture too, when instead of realizing there's something broken there, we do the human thing, which is to justify ourselves. So if you're not like me, you must be bad, not just different. There's, there's messy stuff there. Yeah. Uh, the bulk of preaching that gets good amens is mirror preaching. Do you know what I mean? When I say really well what you already think, that gets the amen. What, what we mean by amen is, I agree, come on now. That boy represents me. Mirror. Can you see how that's sometimes good? Especially if what I'm mirroring is the worst parts of you. But by standing up here with the Bible, now I'm giving the worst parts of you permission in God's name to get real passionate. You can grow churches by mirroring people's flesh. It'll be anger and passion in the name of truth. And it'll be a ghost that ghost won't be holy. And they'll think it's a revival. And they'll invite their friends. And we'll all be twice the sons of hell we were when we started. The mirror can be healthy. The mirror can be scary. And a window, a window shows you a bigger world you don't yet know. The, bigger, the window shows you an outside world you could explore. Jesus spent a whole bunch of his time giving us a window. We liked his miracles, we liked his healings, and we were super confused and offended by his teachings. 
because he didn't really preach for the mirror. He preached the window, right? If I tell you what you already think, that's great as long as what I'm telling you is what the Bible says. But when I tell you what you don't yet know, now I risk confusing you and offending you. If I want you to grow, if God wants us to grow, he's going to have to show us the window whether we want to see it or not. Right? I, I don't have all these thoughts worked out yet, so if I'm saying it, if you can find a better way to say it, tell me. So parables, right? Parables are interesting. Parables don't answer questions. They raise questions. Parables don't teach you and explain. Parables don't teach you what you already know. They cause you to question what you think you know wrongly. Right? So there's a man, he's beat up on the road, left for dead, and some religious people come. And in order to stay pure, they, they can't compromise by touching an injured, broken thing. They don't want to, if I help him, I can't participate in temple worship, I can't touch an unclean thing. So to, to be faithful to the Bible, in this respect, they, somebody will deal with him. Somebody will deal with him. It's too messy, it's too complicated. Somebody will get him. And then comes a, um, well, it was a Samaritan for them, but an illegal immigrant maybe? I don't know, a Muslim? Uh, um, Nancy Pelosi, how about that? <laughs> and she helps him. And she puts him on a donkey and she takes him to an inn and she pays for his care and she checks back in on him. And then Jesus says, all right, so uh, who was the neighbor to the man? Who was the neighbor? And I, I'm telling you guys, his audience is mad. He's not looking at the audience going, what, what would make them like me? You could do that, guys. That's easy to do. I could look at you and I could mirror to you what I see that you are and get an amen and he does the opposite. He looks at who you should be that you're not. He looks at the dominant idols. He looks at what you're missing and he tells a story designed to hurt your feelings and tick you off and confuse you. He tries to sow seeds of doubt so you'll start to doubt the things you shouldn't believe in the first place that you think you know. He wants you to get outside your house and explore some new land and grow. This, guys, is why the prophets are almost always rejected by God's people. Because they don't tell us what we want to hear. They tell us what we need to hear. Right? Jesus said it. We stone prophets. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stone prophets and you who kill murder prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I've longed to take you under my wings like a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. And look, now your house is left to you desolate. Judgment's coming. 
And I'm not going to be able to stop it because you wouldn't listen. But look at why. We sent you messenger after messenger after messenger after messenger. You took them as enemies and cast them out. Half the book of Proverbs is saying only a, a, a fool rejects a rebuke. The wise person, when rebuked, gets wiser. A fool says, get out of my face. That's most of the people that I've encountered in life. Humility is rare. And when you see it, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's like great faith, right? Several things took Jesus to a place of awe. Remember what they were? Two things that amazed Jesus. I'll give you five seconds. Two things that amazed Jesus. Remember them? The centurion. Two things amazed Jesus. Great faith and what else? Great unbelief. Mm-hmm. And because who? It was because of who? It was because, of, and he looked around at them. Is it right to heal? Uh, he looks around at these people and he's amazed. He's amazed at their unbelief. You've grown up in this word. You've grown up in this truth. You've grown up with these stories. You've grown up with these covenants. You've grown up saturated in these things that are meant to teach you who the father is. And I show up as the perfect representation and you scoff and you, and you gnash your teeth. I actually have had a few people gnash their teeth at me. I didn't quite know what that looked like until it happened. And I was like, oh, that's what that is. Okay. All righty. <laughs> oh, wow. That's right in the book. Oh, cool. Uh, neat. The word of God. So great faith and great unbelief blow Jesus' mind. He's shocked by both of them. He's shocked. Shocked by it. Is, is something going? Do I? No. You're saying something. Ha okay. I'll keep going. Sorry. Talk to me later. You wouldn't want to hear. You're, you're, you're always smart. You're always asking those questions. So, Jesus, why do you speak to the people in parables? Remember this? Yeah. And, you, and you're, you're right. He quotes Isaiah. And Isaiah says, I'm going to speak to them in riddles so they won't hear. Yeah. And this is, why, this is what I like to say. Jesus puts the cookies on the top shelf so that only the truly hungry get them. Mm. It's a... They could. They could. But to get to what he was saying, he kept the bar high. Just like we were talking about on Sunday, like when, the church, when, the, when communist China makes it illegal for you to gather and for you to read the Bible, that pretty well eliminates anyone who's not ready to die. Which is what I, which I try to put the bar there with baptism. I want to be baptized. Why? Because I thought it would be nice. <laughs> Are you ready to die for Jesus? Because if not, 
the answer is, I don't think you're ready to get baptized. I said that to you, right? Didn't I say that to you? Are you ready to die? We had that talk. I distinctly remember it. We were in the... I kind of remember that, but I, I remember you can't, you <laughs> I remember there was a, there was an evangelist and his style of evangelism was like, if you were to die tonight. And I thought you better be careful to not be confusing because some people, they'd be like, this man came to the store, this, especially with these uh, second amendment Christians that are packing heat. If you were to die tonight, is he going to shoot me? If I say no, I don't know. <laughs> But the parables are Jesus saying, if you really want to know, you ask, seek, and knock, right? Everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Jeremiah 29, you will, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. It's, it's Jesus saying, look, if you really want this, but it's going to cost you. Because here's what happens. When you set the bar really low in the name of, of uh, Oh, but they're special. Then their lives are a shambles. Because it's not about heaven when you die. I mean, it is, but it's not. It's not. It's about how does the kingdom work in this life and the next? How does the heart work? How does the heart attach to sin? How does the, how does the heart attach to the love of God? How do the principles of how to manage relationships and money and people sinning against you and all the stuff of real life, how does it work? And Jesus is like, it only works if you're all in. It only works if you're all in. Halfway measures never work, right? We talked about that before. Half measures don't work. In or out? Oh, man. Follow me. Oh, I just bought these oxen. <laughs> well, guess you're out. And some people could read that and be like, Jesus is so harsh. No. He knows how it works. If he tries to do both, he'll fail at both. Follow me. No, oh, you know, I have these family obligations. I let the dead bury their dead. And as Carl Chupp said, that guy's dad wasn't even dead yet. <laughs> you know, I think that's funny. <laughs> Jesus had a guy come to him and he said, I got to bury my dad, meaning I got to be there for my dad. And then when he dies, then I'll come follow you. And, and Carl was like, the dead bury their dead? He wasn't dead yet. Uh, ask Carl about it. It made me laugh when Carl's like, I don't know. TV mirror window. I don't know. I, haven't, I don't have all these. These are just brand new thoughts that are coming to me because I feel like in a pandemic, it, the ministry of making people laugh, distracting them, teaching them a skill. You might have a... You, Start a baking class. Not everything has to be about end times prophecy. <laughs> Holy moly. You know. Oh. You would have to pay me money right now to get me signed up to go watch an end times prophecy uh, class or Bible study online. If it's a Zoom class, I, I will pay you money not to watch it. You know. But, you know, we need fun, man. We need fun. Like Stan got that word a while back, right? The family that prays together stays together and the family that plays together stays together and it's true for families and it's true for churches the ministry of play is important distraction matters recreation gives us enough disconnect and the sabbath principle is cool we we kind of had this uh, attitude i think growing up that the sabbath was about don't right you know oh my goodness that guy worked on sunday (laughs) 
you know. And if you're a Mennonite, you're, you, you were allowed to have a car. If you're Amish, you were not allowed to have a car. If you were Mennonite, you were allowed to have a car, but it had to be black. Oh, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. So you asked Tim Fried. You asked Tim Fried if there ain't just a little like for the f- car he has. For the car here. That's why. There's something in there that's like, I can do what I want. I'm under, <laughs> I'm happy and free. And he can, and I'm glad for him, right? <laughs> uh, but like Sabbath, the, the Sabbath is for man, Jesus said. Yeah. It's, not, it's not an imposition on you. It's not like, you would so help me. Don't you dare have fun on my day. No, the whole point is he's commanding you to hang up your worries to hang up your need to save and fix and change the whole rest of the world for one day. Because if you can trust him to be God over the whole world for 24 hours, if you can learn how to really Sabbath, not just with your body, but with your heart and your mind, let God be God. You're going to put this on the burner. You're going to hang, you're going to hang these worries on the coat hanger with your backpack when you come home. You're going to leave them in the backpack. <sighs> and we're going to chill, and we're going to relax, and we're going to sing to the Lord, and we're going to hang out, and we're going to take a Sunday afternoon nap, and we're not going to clean the house. It's Sunday. Stop it. Stop cleaning for the love of everything that matters in life. Just chill. We'll get it tomorrow. If you can do it for one day, now maybe when you pick back up your work in the world, you can do it without picking up as much worry. Just maybe. You know what I mean? So yeah, there's the three screens. Mirrors are good. They can be deadly. TVs, wreck that part's good, but it can be messed up. And this right here, Jesus doesn't give us the whole shebang in one day. It's a little bit at a time when you're ready. You know what I mean? He doesn't go, I came down from heaven, and I'm going to just be like, all in one moment. If you saw everything in one moment, you'd be like, you'd look at yourself, you'd look back at him, you'd look at yourself and go, I quit. He gives you the next step. Or he paints a picture of where you're at least headed in the next season that makes you say, I want to go there. Right? And sometimes it's over, still overwhelming. There have been seasons in my life where I thought I was falling away and I was actually getting an upgrade. Because I, was, I, so identified, I so identified my belief system, my present belief system, with God. That when I began to have significant doubts about whether it was really true, I'm, I'm yeah. And this, this will probably make you laugh, and I've told you this before. I read this book, and it made better sense than what I believed about the Bible. And I hated it. And I thought I was falling. I felt I've had this feeling of falling backwards. You know that feeling of falling backwards? You ever, you ever fall asleep while you're still sitting up? <laughs> that feeling, that's like a vertigo kind of a feeling, falling into darkness. Except I was kneeling on the ground, weeping, and I felt like that. I was falling into darkness. And I remember praying, Jesus, I don't want to become a liberal. <laughs> that's what you prayed? <laughs> that's what I prayed. <laughs> Help me. I don't want to be a liberal. So that tells you my worldview, right? Like the liberals are bad and I'm a conservative and I'm, I no longer consider myself a conservative or a liberal. I saw a pastor yesterday because I was researching a book for the next DTS and he like had five words next to his name. He's a amillennial, 
a, a continuationist. He's an amillennial continuationist, a paedo-baptist, like five theological and, and, and then under that, he's like, lover of Jesus, husband, father. And I looked at that list, and I started just chuckling. And I'm like, look at all your labels, bro. Look at, mine's like, I'm Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a clue if I fit in anybody's group, and I don't care. Like, you know what I'm saying? Of course I do. I do. I care about this part. But you know what I'm saying? Like, on Sunday, when I was talking about the church being secular and America being pagan, do we want to make Mennonites? Rusty, is that our goal here? No. <laughs> it makes us chuckle even thinking about it. But this happens to be a Mennonite church in the sense that it's in a Mennonite denomination. And if you look at the doctrinal statements and what me and my wife believe and what I teach and preach, yeah, we line up. But that's the last thing I would label what we're doing here. I'm giving people Jesus. We're celebrating the Father. We're trying to walk with the Holy Spirit. Like, come on, man. So, okay, labels. Yeah, but that's, see, the labels, I think, are the mirror stuff. And we look at, are you wearing my brand? Oh, my goodness. Oh, we're buddies. Are we? You know, I watched a two-hour debate between Baptists and Methodists on the issue of Calvinism. Does God elect people to go to heaven, and these other people, no matter what they want or whatever, they're, gotcha, they're gonna go to hell. Or does God offer Jesus and give us a choice? And two hours of debate. Now, here's the deal. I can't do that. Right, what am I, I'm wearing what? Uh, all right, so it'd be like watching two hours of an American Eagle versus The Gap. Whose store has better jeans? One, two, three, go. And their jean designers argue for two hours, back and forth. And at the end of the night, you go. That's two hours you can't get back. Wow. You know what's interesting? That was amazing. Was it? It was riveting. I was on the edge of my seat for two hours. Nuh-uh, really? Yep. Really? And I was, and I was changing. No, no, no. Rusty, the, you know what was at stake? What kind of a father do we have? That's why it mattered to me. What is God like? Is he the kind of God who pretends to love people and then sends them off to hell? Or is he the kind of God that when he says, I love the whole world, I sent my son to die for the sins of the whole world, I want no one to perish, he actually means it. Right? That if some kid gets hit on the, hit on the road at four years old because she gets out of the back of the truck in Kentucky when the show walters are turned for four seconds, and she dies? Is he the kind of God who said, that's actually exactly what I planned to happen. That's what I wanted to happen. You don't trust me? Or is that a tragedy? So for two hours we sat there. I was on the edge of my seat. But what were we arguing over? Labels and brands. But more than that, at the end, there was this one, there was this one sentence, Jerry Walls, my philosophy professor from Asbury, the Calvinist guy, and I love Calvinists, by the way, love them. This Calvinist guy says, are you telling me God could go through the whole drama of salvation from Genesis all the way to the cross through the Pentecost of the church, the whole drama of salvation, and you're telling me that if everyone chose to reject Jesus, all of his work would have just been in vain, that our God could fail 
I refuse to worship a God that weak that he could fail. Jerry Walls gets up. If Christ goes to the cross displaying the perfect love of the Father, I'm trying to emulate his voice, the perfect love of the Father for every human, no matter how fallen, and not a single soul responds, it would not have been a waste or a failure because for all eternity, he would have displayed the riches of his manifold perfections before all to see. Thank you for listening to me yell in my Jerry Wall's voice. Okay. 